food, beer. That's right. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Yeah, and you'll kick us out when you want to. That's right. (laughs) Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. I am Robin O, and today I am joined by Ryan Fleury. I'm Ryan Fleury. And that's it. We uh, know Steve Barkley today. No Steve. He is uh, out of the country, I think, isn't he? Yeah, on his way to California. Oh, terrible. It is. I'm sure it's. I'm sure the weather is awful down there right now. But he's working. He's not a holiday. So. Yeah. So, uh, how you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. We finally got some nice weather. The rain is gone. The coldness is gone. So, I'm happy. Yeah, it is officially shorts weather. Yep. Time to break out my chicken legs. <laughs> yes. And start to get some color, which is generally red. <laughs> just burn instantly they have this in the new, sun. They have this invention called sunscreen. It's supposed to work really well. I don't yeah, use it. I but. know. I know, but I never, I don't know. I never feel like I'm going to be out in the that sun long. that long yeah. to need it. But, you know, I'm used to, I don't know, used to when we were a kid. You didn't, you didn't have to wear sunblock. Yeah. Um, you know, because you wouldn't burn within the first five minutes. You know, it would actually take a while because we had an ozone layer. Burning, <laughs> I was just going to say, we actually have a hole in the ozone now. So yeah, exactly. So we burn a lot faster. No <laughs> doubt. It's scary. Yep. Glaciers are melting. Yeah. It's a sad state of affairs. Yep. So, yeah. Welcome to the podcast of sunshine. And <laughs> lollipops and rainbows today. <laughs> We've three minutes in and we're already, it's all doom and gloom. That's right. <laughs> but we have a show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but. We're going to try and lift your spirits. That's right. That's what we're here to do. Should we sing a song? <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for our anniversary show, all which right. is coming up next, next week. week. It is. Dun, 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 dun. That's right. We're pretty excited. We are. We've got some plans. We've got some things in motion. We do. Some surprises. I've got alcohol. And and alcohol is the most important component of any (laughs) show. Any good podcast. (laughs) Is the alcohol. Yeah. Should be entertaining. Well, speaking of podcasts, uh, let's talk about what we're actually going to do today. All right. Because it's going to be something something we haven't done in a while, which is... A new show. Right. We don't have a guest today. Um, we could have. We could have. But we didn't. Um, we decided that, you know, this is something we hadn't done. We hadn't actually sort of visited uh, the most recent news and then talked about it. So we thought, you know what, what the heck, while Steve's away, let's uh, just sit down and, and digest some of the stuff that's happened over the past week. And this week is an especially good time to do it, given that Google I.O., was just last week. It was. I watched the uh, main event, whatever it was called, the, the keynote. keynote. Yep. Yeah, me too. It was interesting. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, okay, so let's let's dive in and talk a little bit about uh, Google I.O. to start and uh, what they announced there and some of the implications for AT as we see it, um, which will be interesting given that, you know, it was just last week we were talking to Victor Saren from Google Accessibility. So Who was at I.O.? Who was at I.O.? Yeah, I didn't see his... Um, I didn't get a chance to, to watch his video, but no. um, it's up there. Yeah, we should we should actually uh, link to that in the in the show notes uh, sure. this week. Uh, but okay, well let's dive in. So for those people who aren't familiar with Google I/O, um, it's you know Google's big event of the year, much like the, you know the Apple the Apple shows and stuff. Uh, I think I think this is their seventh year doing it. That there's some some pretty interesting stuff to come out of it, and some pretty interesting announcements. So, uh, let's just run down some of the highlights and and um, see what you think. Um, th- I found I like I don't know how you felt about it, Ryan, but I mean I, I felt that a lot of their emphasis this year was on AI. Yeah, there's a big push on AI. Um, they've talked about AI over the last probably year, year and a half, but everybody now seems to be pushing AI. It used to be, you know, mobile first, cloud first, or whatever Microsoft saying was, but now it seems to be switched to AI first. And it kind of makes sense um, in a lot of ways. And initially, you know, I wasn't. I was a little bit underwhelmed until you start to think about what all the implications of having this idea of AI and a neural network and, and learning, you know, computational learning, um, what those real world applications can actually be and tied to what some of the AT applications of those can be. So, and you know, some of it, some of it was a little underwhelming. Like, Smart reply. Like, did you do? You, do you remember him talking about um, smart reply with Gmail? Yeah, and basically, some people on other podcasts I listened to were saying it's available now. It is. It is. And it actually brings up a list of selections that you can choose from to do a smart reply back to an email. And I think the example they showed on on their big screen at I/O was, you know, would you like to have dinner this week? And it was Saturday, Sunday neither or either or something there was three or four choices and um i don't know if you have it written down the way it was done but um it wasn't that accurate or not really the way you would use a smart reply do you have an example well okay yeah well i can give you a personal example um um, on friday i i went to the movies and during over the course of the day i was emailing a friend to sort of make arrangements to how it was all going to work and he was like okay you know I'll come pick you up at at around nine and when I went to reply to him um, sure enough there are these selections at the bottom that said something like uh, sure thanks or another one was like okay see you then Um, so you know the the AI I guess looked at the The content yeah. and the context of the email and then gave you some canned responses that you could just click on so that you didn't have to type it. Right. Now, I don't know. There's a part of me that that is creeped out by that because <laughs> I don't like the idea of 
even, you know, some sort of, you know, machine learning algorithm looking at the content of my email and then like doing the thinking for me. So, I mean, stuff like that, I, I think is, I guess, neat. Um, yeah, I think it'll, you know. I'm quick, of two minds of it. Quick replies aren't going to save you a whole lot of time. You know, really, most of us can type fairly quickly. And I don't know if you're kind of sloughing the person off by doing a quick reply yeah, exactly. and losing that personal touch. But, you know, I could see where it would be convenient. Yep. Yep. But, I mean, really, I, I guess they really wanted to just use it as an example of, you know, again, of the neural network and how the systems are, are learning. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that, and this is the really exciting part, then they, they talked a little bit about um, a new app called Google Lens. Yes. Now, this is this is really exciting, especially when they incorporate it into the Google Assistant. Google Lens, think of Google Lens as Google Goggles on steroids. Um, it'll have an OCR capability, so you could use it to scan and read something. You could point it at a sign and it would tell you what it is. You can, I think they said that it even does recognition to the point where there's like zero mistakes in accuracy. So it's pretty phenomenal, the AI or machine learning used to recognize objects. And, you know, things like items with barcodes on it, like it's going to know all that sort of information. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the, this is, and this is where, you know, they're, they're working on the inner workings of this AI and the ability for it to learn. Like to be able to look at a picture and... Tell you who it t- is tell you who it is or tell you that okay that's a cat oh in this picture it's a dog Mm -hmm. like that's when you really think about it i mean that's pretty amazing in and of itself that a machine is going to be able to take a look at a picture and tell you what it is but it goes even beyond that because when you incorporate it into google assistant you can do things like and the example that they used at the keynote is they took a picture of a flower yep and the app took that picture, analyzed it, and was able to spit out what, what type, of flower, type it was. of flower it was. So think about it. You could be walking around your backyard, use Google Lens and say, okay, is this a plant or is this a weed? Or is this plant edible? You could be out in the bush. Is this mushroom edible using Google Lens? Right. And it'll come back and tell you. You know, So instead of pulling out plants, you're pulling out weeds or you know, the accuracy is staggering. And, you know, Facebook as well has been using this for about a year or so as well. You know, as a blind person myself, if there's a photo that somebody posts to Facebook, it'll say image of tree in one person or whatever it says. But how cool would it be if Google Lens could actually integrate with Facebook or something else like that and say, okay, evergreen tree and Rob standing next to it. Right. You know. And this is where, this is where it gets exciting for AT. Because potentially, eventually, we could get to a point where every single picture on the internet is automatically alt tagged. Mm-hmm. Like the system can look at it, identify what's in the picture, and alt tag it automatically. Yep. There's there can be no need for someone to ever be looking at a picture and not have a pure text description of that picture. 
would be very cool. And there's also tons of other examples that they use that, that would be really handy. One that they, they illustrated as well was taking a picture of the bottom of a router right. that had the barcode. To get the and SSID it, and the it, password. And, exactly. Yeah. They just took a picture of it and boom, right. Google Lens imported that directly into the Wi-Fi settings and connected the phone tickety-boo. Like it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, things like taking pictures of signage yep. um, that say has... Um, the name of a band and the venue and the time that the the show starts, being able to take that, identifying all the key information, and then prompting you, okay, do you want to buy tickets for this show? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to add it to the calendar? Um, doing things like taking a picture of a front of a restaurant and um, being able to, you know, give you the menu right on the fly or give you the phone number or... You know, there's there's all these elements that would have have real IT and mobility potential for people who are visually impaired. Yeah, and I think you know, with Google Assistant, Google Home, it's not going to be very long before we're actually having a two-way conversation with our devices. Yeah, instead we'll, of having to use a keyword to prompt the Google Home or the Google Assistant to wake up and respond to you, it's just going to be you know. You might start with the keyword, hey, Google, you know, is this restaurant open today? And I'll say, yes, Ryan, it is. It's open from 8 to 4. Would you like to make a reservation? Yep. You know, it's just going to be conversational, and we're, we're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, a lot of this kind of reminded me of the Kane FB Reader, yep. for example, um, where you're going to be able to take a picture of something or take a picture of a document and it's going to be able to on the fly, it's going to be able to digest that document and spit it back out to you in, you know, through, through a speech interface. I've got a stack of LP records over there and, you know, Google goggles does okay on some of them. KNFB reader will do okay on others, but how cool would it be to be able to use something like Google Lens to take a picture of the album cover and it would come back and say, that's Pink Floyd the Wall. Yeah. You know, it would know by the graphics, the stylized text or whatever. Exactly. What that is. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it sounds like the technology is there. Um, yeah. And that's really exciting. I mean, there was this was some of the most exciting stuff that I saw in terms of AT potential because it's huge. Um, there's also kind of tied into that it's a different app but the other thing that really struck me was the ar um, stuff that they talked about near the end of the keynote um about the vps did you see that do you know what i'm talking about no i don't think so it's it's um it's called the visual positioning system and basically it's a it's an ar an augmented reality interface on the phone that and you know i'm i'm not going to be able to explain exactly how it works but it it detects points in space and is able to sort of guide you through say a store and tell you what aisle something is in and so it's i think that you when you take something like this and pair it with the gps it could be a phenomenal navigation system for people who are visually impaired well, even, you know, if if indoor beacons ever take off, you know, I could walk into the mall. It would tell me walking past London Drugs, Staples, Bed Bath & Beyond. And then I can pick the store I want to go into, go into that store and say, you know, aisle five shampoo, aisle 
sex, electronics, you know. Well, that's exactly got it. Got me through there. So. You, this, I, I think this could even replace the whole the whole notion of beacons. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not real up to date on what, what this beacon system mm-hmm. well, actually, ones, actually but. does. But, I mean, with this, you could, there's no reason why you couldn't have a VPS um, layout of, say, a mall already. And right. so you would automatically, it would be able to guide you through the mall you know, and tell you exactly what stores on your left, what stores on your right, and I'm assuming that the the VPS, the way the VPS system works, is that it takes data from basically every single smartphone out there and lays these dots. Right. It could be really, really amazing if they can if they can get it to the point where you can leave your house with your smartphone and your guide dog and virtually just be able to, to navigate anywhere mm-hmm. using just those two things. And I, and it doesn't sound like we're that far away from that. So that's pretty exciting too. And I should add that actually, now that I'm reading this, the, this, this VPS system is actually part of Google lens as well. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I'm assuming that it will actually be built right into the, the lens app. Right. Did they say when that was, would be available no they didn't they they said later in the year Mm. so um it's hard to say but that to me that that was really exciting when i saw that i was like oh my god like that has some real serious at implications anything to make it easier to get around i'm all for well sure and i mean you remember how finicky that um that KNFB reader was. It was a great idea, but wow, was it really flaky. Mind you, you know, you're running, we were running it, you know, on the Nokia phones back then, right? Yeah, and they have it now on iPhone and, and Android. I have it on my phone. How is it? Um, Has it gotten a lot better? Uh, yeah, it's gotten way better. But again, you know, I don't use it a whole lot. Um, and really, any OCR is really dependent on the text you're trying to scan. Right, so with my LP covers, some of it works really well, and and other times it doesn't. Um, you know, same with Blu-rays. You know, in order for me to be able to know what movie I'm watching, I have to get my wife to tell me what the cover is because the text is all stylized or it's all graphics, and you know, I want to be able to do this stuff independently. So it'll get there. Yep. So. The other thing that was pretty exciting in the keynote was the demonstration of some of the new features that they are incorporating into the Google Home. Right? Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, they, they've again, they've talked about AI for about a year, year and a half. You know, I don't remember exactly what was in the keynote because I watched it the you know the day of. Right. Um, I think every there was really nothing magical that they mentioned. It's all just kind of nothing evolution or revolutionary, more evolutionary. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, I think the the main thing to take away from uh, the coming features was that they are pretty much caught up to the Amazon Echo. I don't think there's a single feature that now that the Amazon Echo has that the forthcoming Google Home won't have. Yeah, I think, you know, they they mentioned, you know, later this year they're going to enable the Bluetooth in the Google Home, which will be really nice. Yep. Um, You know, yeah, Alexa, sorry, the Amazon Echo 
has you know, over 10,000 different skills you can use. Most people will never use them all. They'll use a handful. That's right. Same with the Google Home. You know, I, I really think where both devices have um, AT ramifications is in home automation. Yep, absolutely. I still think you know, being able to walk into your house, say turn lights on, turn TV on, turn temperature up or down is really where things are going to be at for us who have a disability. Yeah, I think they're, and I think that that's absolutely the direction that they're pushing. I think that they're pushing home automation now seems to be the time. I mean, you know, environmental controls have been around for ages, mm-hmm. um, but really they're now pushing that out to the mainstream, um, which is automatically sort of has all these AT implications at the same time. But I, 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 I really get the feeling that they're, they're really sort of, they're, this year is going to be big for the Google Home. Yeah. I think they're going to overtake. I, I think they're going to overtake the the Amazon Echo, and I don't know. I I don't know. They could control could control the market because the other thing we have to remember about the Google Home, it it and just its base advantage over the Amazon Echo is the Google search engine mm-hmm. and the the ability to be contextual in your um, questions and in the responses. The Google does have the power of search behind it. And I think, you know, even though Amazon is putting the Echo functionality into TVs now, um, they're going to be putting it into vehicles. Um, I still think Google, if they do it right, and Google has a history of launching stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and then abandoning stuff. If they really focus on the Google Home, the potential for it is huge. Yeah, it really is. Um, especially when you pair all this, um, these neural networks and the AI, you know, plugging that into the the home, I, I mean, it, it, it the potential there is, is pretty huge. Yeah, and they didn't announce a new Google Home, which, you know, some podcasts I listen to were actually hoping for, but um, what, what some people are, are wanting is, you know, the Google Home actually to be your Wi-Fi router. Right. So, you know, I wouldn't surprise me if we see a new Google Home next year that actually has a Wi-Fi router built in, and, you know, it'll be your, your one device for your home. You connect to it with all your other devices, and uh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, Um we should take a step back too and, and talk a little bit about just some of the specific announcements that they um, announced about the Google Home. But the big one for us is that later this summer they are releasing it into Canada. Yay! So that will be pretty cool. About time. Absolutely. Um, but they also talked about a little bit about how, and you know, again, this is stuff that I think where they're pushing the envelope that. The, the Amazon Echo is just not going to be able to keep up. But they talked a little bit about the idea of proactive assistance. And the example that, that they used on stage was um, you'd be sitting around and all of a sudden your home would say light up, you know, indicating that... There's a notification s- or something. Exactly. Yeah. And you'd say, okay, Google, what's up? And it would say you know what, um, you know, you have this appointment where you have to be at the soccer field at four. 
and I'm noticing the traffic is pretty heavy at the moment, so you might want to leave 14 minutes early right. in order to get there on time. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, again, that's AI. That's where this, this um, these neural networks and the machine learning really shines. Now, it won't really work for us blind people because we can't see the ring glowing on top of the device. Yeah, but, it, you know, as long as there's a setting where it beeps, um, which I'm sure... Yeah, they'd have to do it somehow. I'm sure there's a way to, to set that, and I'm sure that they'll think of that. Yeah. I would, at least I would hope. God. <laughs> um, the other thing that they announced was hands-free calling. Yes, that's due to come out this summer, and the really nice thing that they announced that the Amazon Echo can't do yet is any calling to landlines and mobiles, whereas right now the Amazon Echo will only call another Echo. Really? Yeah. So if Google does this right and gets it out quickly, they'll be first to do this. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. And not only that, I mean, it has the ability in, say, a family, and like in a household, to be able to recognize different voices. Yeah, you have so, multiple profiles now. That's right. So, for example, if, you know, one person says, call mom, it recognizes who you are, Yep. calls your mom. As opposed to somebody else saying, yeah. "Hey, call mom," it calls their mom. Right. Like it's pretty cool. It is. It is really cool. All in all, I, I mean, it, it sounds like if they come through with all this stuff, I, I think it's just going to stomp on the um, the Amazon Echo. Well, and I really hope you know once it launches in Canada officially, that we're going to have a lot more functionality built in, like being able to order pizzas or order from Amazon or you know do some of these other things. So you're not going to have to have multiple devices. You know, because even right now, the Amazon Echo Dot I see is available from the Amazon store in Canada. But I I don't actually know if I can order from Amazon from my Echo and have it delivered to my address because it doesn't know I'm actually in Canada. It thinks I'm in Seattle. Right. Right. So whereas the Google Home, I enter in my address, my location, and it knows I'm in, I'm in Canada, I'm in Vancouver. So... You know, the Google Home's already ahead in that regards, but I want as much functionality as possible, um, but only of the items I think I would use regularly, like ordering from Amazon um, or being able to, um, you know, stream media to other devices in my house, which I think you can do already. I think if I had multiple Google Homes, I could tell it to stream to the bedroom. Right. Because it'll stream to a Chromecast. So it's getting there. But, it, absolutely. Know. And I mean, you know, then they also announced a ton of new partnerships, music partnerships and video partnerships, um, stuff like Spotify and Deezer and SoundCloud, HBO, H, bleh, HBO Now is apparently a video partner now as well. So they can just it'll stream HBO Now right. to your TV. So it's um, I think it's playing catch up and I think they're catching up real fast. Hopefully. So, but again, you know, huge, huge AT potential. Um, all this, all this AI and all the, you know, even, you know, we didn't really talk too much about all the improvements to Google Assistant. Well, the, the one big announcement about Google Assistant that I recall is it's now available for iOS. So yes. if you're an iPhone user, you now have the power of Google behind you. Yeah, which is and huge too. It'll replace Siri because anybody, well, most people I've talked to about Siri, they don't use it or they don't like it. Right. So the Google Assistant would be an excellent replacement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, and the fact that Google Lens is going to be, you know, integrated right into Google Assistant. So again, you know, you'll be able to take a picture of anything in front of you and it's going to be able to identify it. Yep. Amazing. It is. Exciting time. Uh, let me see what else. You know, there's a lot of other stuff that was just. I got I got to say the one thing about Google Photos. I was listening to another podcast on the weekend. And I'll give them a shout out. It's the HT guys, the HD TV podcast. Right. And um, one of the hosts, Braden Russell, was saying that he has all his photos uploaded to Google Photos. And because of the AI Google has built into and into Google Photos, it actually went ahead without his intervention at all and created a slideshow of one of his kids from the time he was young till the time he was like late teens. Wow. And he he just saw a notification in his Google Photos. He clicked on it. There was a slideshow that Google automatically created for him of this child growing up through the years. And he was just blown away by it. And he shared it with his family and friends. The power Google has in its AI has the ability to do such things like that, create slideshows for you that you can yeah. share. Um, you know, later today, I'm probably going to start uploading our photos to Google Photos especially as a backup means anyway, and just see what it does. It's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they talked a little bit about, well, they actually, they talked quite a lot about Google Photos and the AI um, because, you know, once they roll this out, it can do things like, you know, you'll have a bunch of pictures of a barbecue, say. It's going to be able to recognize who these pictures are. Who's in the pictures. Who's in the pictures. Yeah. It'll prompt you saying, hey, do you want to send this picture to Chris? Because that's right. it's a really good picture of him. Yep. Um, that's incredible. You know? Right? <laughs> just incredible. Yeah. Um, and some people might say, you know what? I Google's doing a little bit too much thinking for me. Um, you know, I want to be more in control of, of that. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I think it's, I, I like, I'm, I'm a geek, so all this tech is pretty cool to me, but. As a sighted person, you know, you may not care about this sort of stuff, but for me, as a blind person, if Google Photos can tell me that, you know, my wife took a picture and in that picture is, you know, her Uncle Gary and her niece Lisa, you know, that's more information for me and it starts to level the playing field a little bit more. It gives me that ability to know who's in the picture and, and you know, reminisce a little bit about that photo. So I'm excited for it. Cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Um, okay. Here's something else that's, that's pretty neat. So they're eventually they're going to incorporate uh, Google lens into Google photos. So you'll be able to say, take a picture of a building and it's going to be able to recognize that building and tell you what that building is. Right. Right so on the fly. Take a picture of the Empire State Building and it would tell you Empire State Building. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once again, you know, it's going to be amazing for, for all tags. Uh, well, even for think the ability. about, sorry. No, go, go ahead. Even think about, like, you know, the other day I grabbed my smartphone. It's an Android phone. I opened the camera app and I was going to take a picture of my dog and cat that were laying side by side. And... Just imagine how cool it would be to take my phone out, open the camera app, and as I'm moving the, the phone around, it tells me, you know, one face in, in frame or whatever the message is, you know, how cool it would be to say, you know, one cat, one dog, or Benji and Kevin in the frame, and then I can take the picture. Yeah. Instead of just, aim, you know, wandering the phone around, hopefully getting them in, in frame and being able to take the picture. Right. 
it would be really cool to be able to have that AI built in and I could independently take photos even, you know, even better. So, yeah. And, you know, again, you know, it has all those, all the potential that say that they tried to do with, with say something like the KNFB reader. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all done. It's, it's right here. I mean, you can, again, a blind person can pick up a can of food, be like, Oh, okay. What, what's this? Take a picture of it. Boom. Okay. It's beefaroni. Yeah. And you can do that with barcode readers, but you're always spinning the can, trying to find the barcodes and, you know, you have to download the apps for it. This is just going to be built into your Android device. Um, and again, the, the easier it is to do something, the better. I'm all for it. The other thing I talked about, and I don't know if you made notes on this, is Android Go. Yes, I did. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because this actually does have some, some pretty big potential as well. So Android Go basically optimizes the the most recent Android releases so that they would be able to run on low-end phones. Right, so phones that have one gigabyte of memory or less. Right. So, you know, again, you know, uh, in the past, basically, if you, if you had an older phone, you were just kind of out of luck. You, you know, you just weren't able to run the most recent um, version of Android. So this kind of changes the game in that sense. So that's actually pretty exciting as well. Well, think of the emerging markets as well. You know, I think they gave a number of, what, 2 billion Android phones out there. Um, Android Go, they're hoping to increase that number to 3 billion. If you have lower cost phones with Android Go on it, you're going to sell more phones. Not everybody can afford an eight $900, you know, um, Pixel. I, I can't. Right. Uh, not every two years anyway. No, for sure. Um, to get a new phone, whereas you could get an Android Go phone and it's going to have all the same functionality. It's going to have a lower end processor and a lot lower um, storage. But at the same time, you could be on the latest version of the Android operating system and still have some of those new features that you may not you know, be able to afford in the high end phones. So I think it's exciting. We'll see where it goes, but... Go go Google. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff was was pretty was pretty exciting. I mean, again, going back to the photos, um, I, the other thing that they announced, which I don't know, a little bit gimmicky, but uh, kind of cool, is the the photo books option. Oh right, right, where you can take a say that slideshow that you were talking about from from the HD podcast. Uh, you know, his slideshow, he could submit it to photo books. They'll actually print him a hardcover photo book of that slideshow and send it to him for like 20 bucks. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Now, they also talked a lot about Android O. Yeah, it's officially in beta now. Um, I still don't have Android N on my Samsung S5, nor do I think I'm getting it. Yeah, I don't either. Um, so I haven't played with the new features in NuGet, and I can't install Android O. I tried. Um, and I'm not going to flash my phone and do custom ROMs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, me either. I can't be bothered. No, it's too much work. So, you know, I'll just have to keep watching Google and, and see what's going on with Android O. And perhaps my next phone will be upgraded or upgradable. But um, there's going to be some interesting interesting new features. Yeah. The other, the other announcement that seemed to get a lot of excitement at the event 
Um, but I don't, I don't know enough about, so I don't really know the implications of this, was the announcement that um, this new program, or not? I guess it's not a new programming language, but the programming language Kotlin is going to be an official supported language in Android. That seemed to get a real big response from the crowd, so I, I, and I really don't understand why, but I guess it's a big deal for, for developers. So yay. Go, go, go Kotlin. Go coding. <laughs> yay. Yay, geeks. Make us some cool stuff. That's right. But, you know, and then they also talked a lot about, you know, stats and stuff, which is, you know, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. Like, what was the stat? What did they figure? Uh, how many devices are out there now? Well, I think they said two billion. Two yes. billion Android devices. Right. Yes, that's right. Two billion. Wow. Yep. Kicking the iPhone's butt. Yeah. Yeah. And the nice thing with Android is you have your choice of phones. If you don't like the size of one, you can go to a different manufacturer. With Apple, you don't okay. have much choice. Well, all right. Let's not get into no, like I'm Apple. Just saying, That's not, just we saying. don't want to alienate all our Apple users. You have choice with Android. iPhones are good. I had two iPhones. Uh, me too. I had a 3GS three. and a 4. Yeah. I just didn't like using iTunes. <laughs> that was that was my issue as well. But um, all right, well, we have other news stories too. Yeah, we do. We uh, should jump into them. We'll have a link to I think probably the Google I/O page or Google News Events page in our show notes as well. So if you yeah, want to sure, follow I can, more, I can I can link to the uh, the summary page of, yeah. of basically all the uh, all the official announcements and. Uh, Heck, I think it even has a, a link to the video if you actually want to watch the video. Right. So, but some very interesting stuff going on coming down the pipe. Um, very exciting. Um, we really need to do a show uh, where we pull out your Google Home and play with it. I think. The Home and the Echo. Sure. I mean, we can pull out the Home and the Echo and compare them. But I like. I don't know. After, after watching this, I don't even think it's worth doing a comparison. Because to be honest, uh, like I was pretty wowed at at what's coming for the Google Home and the Google Assistant in general and what it can do. Yeah. Uh, so I think we'll wait till the announcement that it's actually officially available in Canada. Well, yeah, maybe we'll... Because I maybe might... Maybe there'll be some new features that we can actually take advantage of. Well, I think I might actually... Once it's available here, I think I might get one. Yeah. A new generation one. So we can either play with that one, we can play with yours. I mean, I guess... You, can you can you reset... Once it's available in Canada, can you reset yours to actually um, recognize that you're where you are now? It knows where I am. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, I entered my address and everything, and it gives me traffic updates. Really? If I want to say how long it's going to take me to get to work, it'll tell me. It'll say there's minor traffic delays. Yeah, that's the nice thing with the Google Home is I punched in my address and everything else, and it knows where I am. It can tell me what's around me. The Amazon Echo, I I punch in my address. It still thinks I'm in Seattle, Washington. Right, because you had to plug in an American address for it, right? I punched in my Canadian address. Really? Yeah, and it doesn't recognize it because it's, I guess, not officially available in Canada yet. See again. I mean, if Google's ahead of the of the curve, of the curve in this sense, because um, we're not the only. Uh, what what is it here? Um, New Zealand. They're, yeah, they're they're this summer. They're launching in Canada, Australia, France, Germany, and Japan. Right. Um, so, I don't know. Amazon. We'll see. Falling behind, dudes. Yep, it's really going to come down to the type of skills you want your device to be do for you. You know, both of them support home automation and more and more different protocols all the time. Um, you know, my my big thing is I'm probably not going to use my 
home auto, my home device, my Google or my Amazon to order pizza. You know, my wife and I use the Google Home to play a trivia game that's on there. Um, I just find the Google Home's more intuitive. You know, it's you can ask it a question. You know, okay, gee, how many species of whales are there in the world? Right. And it'll come back and tell you, and then you can just say, okay, gee, which is the largest? It still knows you're talking about whales. That's right. Yeah, that's and that's the contextual yeah. um, questions that I was talking about before. You know, it's intelligent enough to be able to have a conversational line of questioning or a conversational uh, question. Right. You're going to be able to talk to the Google Home more naturally because the AI is a little is is stronger and it's you know it's a bit deeper. So. All right, moving off of Google. Okay, well, hold on, no wait, but <laughs> Come on. but no, but we should we we should talk. We, we really should have a show where we we dive into the Google Home and and the AT applications for it because between the Google Assistant, like when what the Google Assistant can do now, you know, you can tie in you the fact that you're going to be able to tie your phone right into your Google Home. You want to take a picture? It's I can do all that now. Yeah, you I mean, can, I can cast to my Google Home. You know, if I'm playing a, th- a song from Google Play Music on my phone, I can cast it to my Google Home. Same with YouTube. Um, some of my podcasts, um, I can cast my podcast to my Google Home. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be a new Google Home this year, but, you know, the launch of it being available in Canada and these other regions, I think it's going to be the same Google Home. It's just now going to have the region-specific information sure. required for that country. So, yeah, we can bring it down here and we can actually play with it for the anniversary show if you want. Yeah, or we or you know, we can just have a we all have a Google Home show. Sure. Uh so yes, very exciting. I I I was pretty impressed with what I saw. Um and I, and I think, you know, a lot of AT potential. Um it's too bad that I missed uh, Victor's um I should actually go back and watch it. Yeah, and if you can find the video um because it was live streamed as well, maybe link to that in the show notes sure. because they talked about uh, some new features in TalkBack, which is the Android screen reader. They talked about uh, something called speech-to-text. Okay. They also talked about um, some low-vision features. So, yeah, it's worth linking to. Okay. Um, all right. Well, you know, we still got we still got some time. Uh, let's let's uh, tackle a few other of these stories. All righty. So let's talk about Windows S. Windows S. What is it? Well, sorry, Windows 10S. Windows 10S. Uh, Windows 10S is essentially Microsoft's answer to Chrome OS. <laughs> so basically a simplified version of Windows for low-end hardware and in particular the education market. The key to remember with Windows 10S is that you cannot install apps unless they are from the Windows Store specifically. Right, so no desktop apps. So no Chrome no Firefox. You're going to be using Microsoft Edge as your web browser. Um, yeah, it's very limiting. It is, and basically, it's for the education market. Yes, hands down. Um, the devices that are going to be running Windows 10s are going to run for about 200 bucks. Um, they're going to be the Windows 10s is going to be free for schools that are currently using Windows 10. Uh, and, uh, yeah. If you have a disability, we should mention, and you buy a Windows 10S computer, you can actually get a free upgrade to Windows 10 Professional That's without right. paying for it. So 
you know, again, Microsoft is really pushing accessibility and is keeping us in mind when it comes to upgrading. So kudos, Microsoft. Good job. Good job, Jenny Leifleury. I might actually get one, you know, depending on the specs when they come out just and just see, you know, sure. what it's capable of, not capable of. And then upgrade it to Windows 10 Pro. Does it surprise <laughs> you that it took it took them this long though to to have a um, it, to to have something that competes with Chrome OS? It doesn't surprise me because Microsoft's late to the party a lot of times. You know, they're finally coming out with a Cortana speaker, right? You know, to compete with the Google Home, right? And the Which Amazon again, they're Echo. late. They're way too late, late to the party. They're way too late. Apple's out of the talking about doing one now. They're way too late to the party. Yep. Um, you know, I, and I really don't know if Microsoft's attempt at a Chromebook replacement is going to hit the market. You know, Chrome, I forget what the numbers were, but Chrome had like know, 60% of the schools or something Yeah, already, you know, being used. It's really easy for ITs to manage, you know, a new class comes in, they can just wipe the machines remotely and, you know, do all that in, IT stuff that needs to be done to maintain these systems. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for Microsoft. Yeah, I agree. But it's an alternative. Yeah, and hey, you know what? Competition is good. Yep. Because it keeps those prices down. So we'll see. The nice thing about Windows 10S, of course, from a disability point of view, is you're going to have the narrator and you're going to have the magnifier right. and all the accessibility uh, functionality that Microsoft's been working on and pushing. So, you know, you could open it up and have a talking computer right off the bat and away you go. Install Office 365. And now you've got, you know, your Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And you've got a screen reader built in. So it could be a functional machine hey. for for people who just want email and internet access. Yeah, very very highly portable. I mean, it could be, it could be very good for seniors yep. uh, as well. I mean, not just the education market. It, it could be a perfect little system for grandma because she can do everything that she needs to do. Um, it's, it's not going to be all that expensive, and it's going to be highly accessible right out of the gate. Yep, I agree. But I think they're, they're supposed to be out later this summer too, I think, aren't they? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, something else to keep an eye on. Uh, what else do we got? Oh, hey, here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this one. This isn't really, this is just techie. This is just geeky. Geek. Uh, but our good friend, the MP3, is dead. So they say. So they say. Well, you know what? The, hey, look, they said the same thing about records, and I sold all my <laughs> records, and God damn it, They're if now it's back. a thing again. It's right. I'm bitter about this. Are you? A little bit. I'm yeah. a little salty. I didn't keep. I sold all my records. I converted everything to, to, to uh, cassette. No, not to cassette. Well, well, actually, there's part of that component. I actually, I was like, when I was a kid, I was slow to convert albums over to cassette because I didn't like the fact that you didn't get liner notes, yeah. you didn't Alpha get the liner. lyrics, you yeah. didn't get any of that stuff in a cassette, but you got them on the record sleeves, mm -hmm. and I just, I just liked records better than cassettes so but it, but once you know compact discs came around well that's when i i did the big conversion and right. just converted everything over to to cds and then of course well we all know CDs what happened have gone away cds Pretty went much. away so i got rid of those 
I was actually thinking this morning about MP3s and this article a little bit. And, you know, if you're downloading songs from iTunes, they're not MP3s, they're MPEG-4s. Right. Um, where can you actually download MP3s anymore? Apple's MPEG-4. Um, I know there's AAC files out there. Right. Um, which is which is we should mention is the new format it's, right uh, that that is the preferred new music format or is AAC so I know all this most of the songs on my you know hard drive are mp3 but I couldn't think of a source where I would download mp3s anymore no me neither um i mean and then that's mainly just because you know my my consumption has changed right like i'm, yeah, I'm all about now. streaming yeah um, and, and I think that most people are in it these days. Right. Um, I don't think there's too many people that are that are actively actually downloading. Well, MP3s. especially now with like Google Play Music and Spotify, where you can actually, you know, if you're paying the premium prices, you can actually download for offline listening. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I mean, in general, I, I think that there's probably not a lot of people who are going to care because I think everybody's you know musical consumption has changed anyways. Right. But it's just, it's more of a geeky thing. Do you want to read, just the, like, read a bit of the article? Uh, well, sure. Uh, and it's actually the creators of the MP3 who have declared it dead. Fraunhofer. The Fraunhofer Institute for Integrated Circuits, uh, which is a division of the state-funded German research institution that originally funded the MP3's development in, get this, the late 80s. Can you believe that? <laughs> The late 80s. Wow. I didn't even have a computer then. I didn't have a computer until probably yeah. mid-90s. Yeah, I got my first PC in 97. And I try, I remember trying to run an MP3 on my very first computer, which I, I think it might have been a Pentium. I Maybe. Remember, a remember Pentium trying to download one. it? Beep, boop, boop. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It would take 20 it, minutes to download one at MP3. At least 20 minutes. It probably took me more like an hour to download U2's yeah. Where the Streets Have No Name. And I remember trying to play it on my computer and it was like, it, it was choppy. It couldn't, it right. didn't have, like my computer didn't have the actual, the processing power to actually <laughs> run an MP3, if you can imagine, if you can imagine that. It's funny. But, uh. But yeah, and then, you know, who can forget? We lived through the glory days of Napster and, yep. you know, God, MB3 was just king. It was. So uh, anyways, so it, uh, so the, yes, the Fraunhofer Institute for Integrated Circuit has announced that its licensing program for certain MP3-related patents and software has been terminated. Um, so, you know, there you go. So talk a little bit about... You know, the AAC format that they mentioned there. Uh, well, it says that they, you know, iTunes and others now favor AAC, which AAC stands for Advanced Audio Coding. Um, they now favor AAC files, and AAC is just more efficient than MP3 and offers a lot more functionality. I think it's also a higher fidelity. It's, it's not as compressed as MP3s. That's correct. So you'll get more of your highs and lows. Now this is a weird. This was a weird paragraph in this news story, which I found, yeah, I, I surprised me. It says last year, research conducted by the Audio Engineering Library found that MP3s and other low-quality compression formats essentially drain your music of emotion. 
The results showed that MP3 compression strengthened neural and negative emotional characteristics, things like shy, scary, or sad, and weakened positive emotional ones like happy, romantic, or calm. Now, that's a bizarre bizarre not really because well yes and no i mean compression really compression you know influences your emotional state yeah i think it would um you know creating an mp3 most mp3s are 128 bit right and they've taken the high frequencies they've taken the low frequencies and compressed it all down so much that you lose a lot of that feeling you know, if you listen to a, um, a higher bitrate MP3 or an AAC file or an uncompressed file altogether, there is more raw emotion. You're hearing the hi-hats. You're hearing the low mm-hmm. bass. You're okay. hearing maybe the, the, the deeper notes of a cello. It's more emotional. Uh, I think it pulls you into the music more. So, you know, a good MP3, yeah, if you love the song and it has meaning to you, doesn't matter how compressed it's going to be you still have an emotional tie to that song but if you open it up you know and you're listening to that same song uncompressed you're going to be amazed at how much data was actually lost in in making that mp3 file you know yeah i guess I, I see your point i mean um, it uh, it's all about context right like if you're mm-hmm. listening if i'm listening to something you know on the train uh through my crappy pair of headphones you don't care on my phone it's not that I, it's not even that I don't care. It's just that I'm not going to notice the difference, right? Because I'm not an environment. Whereas if you're sitting at home on your couch and Actually you've got listening. you know you've got noise canceling headphones on, and yeah, and you're invested in the music, that's when you're going to notice that type of difference. And I think our lives have gotten so busy that we always have music on in the background. It, it doesn't matter if it's compressed, if it's streaming. Exactly. We don't care about really. We don't really care about the quality of the music. It's just noise in the background. Yeah, when I come downstairs here to the guitar dungeon and sit on my couch, right, and I put on an LP, um, or even listen to some you know good quality MP3s, I'm actually listening. It's not just noise right. in the background. I'm actually listening to the lyrics. I'm listening to the music. I'm listening to the snare drum in the front left speaker. Right. You know, I'm more emotionally invested in the music, and there's something to be said for that. Yep. You know, there's there's a tie there that you you reach with the music and that's why music therapy is so powerful for people and healing for people. Um, there's, there's power in music. Good point. So yeah, out with the old in with the new. Thanks a lot. MP3. (laughs) You had a good run. You brought me much joy, but, uh, now you got to go out and buy some vinyl, you know? Yeah. I, you know, (laughs) I don't even know. And now I'm just conflicted about it because now I just feel like now if I just get back into it, I'm just, You'll be behind the eight ball in six uh, months from now. It'll go out again. <laughs> but I have to admit, like, there is something really, like, nostalgically rewarding about hearing that, like, hearing that, the needle fall. Like, you know, you get that, boom, and then. When we're the done, little... I'll play a record for you over there. I'll play you, you know, My America's Greatest Hits or something. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I got a, a new phono cartridge and, um, I don't know, phono preamp. And the audio quality is, it's really nice. I know, I, I know I'm with you. Like, yeah. listen, I didn't like the fact that they phased out records in the first place. Yeah. I was against it. But you know what? They went ahead and did it. Without your, without, without your okay. That's right. No one asked me. <laughs> so I'm How still just a little they? bitter about that. Yeah. I knew I shouldn't have sold those. Damn it. Why did I listen to my first girlfriend? God. Ah. 
Well, the record stores are First, popping up all over the you place. No, we wanted Dude. to move in together and stuff. She's like, well, yeah, I don't have room for all these records. And I was like, well, all right. And so she made me get rid of them, and I listened like a fool. Yep. And here I am. Well, I had none either up until probably two years ago when I wanted to start getting back into it again. So I bought myself um, you know, an older turntable and started going to some of the record shops and picking up some LPs and... Yeah, it's, you know, I don't listen to them every night, but when I do, it's enjoyable to sit down for half an hour and listen to a side of an LP. Well, luckily, I I did not get rid of my hockey bag full of tapes, cassette tapes. <laughs> what are you going to play them on? <laughs> I Well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for cassette tapes to come back. So vinyls come back. It's got, it has to be only a few more years where no. cassettes, or do I have to wait for eight tracks to come back before cassettes? I think it's all going to go streaming. Uh, well, you know, well that's got, for sure. We've that's got 4K for certain, streaming but. now, so you're going to have high-fidelity streaming soon. I think you did um, with Tidal. I think Tidal was another streaming service that was actually yep. high-fidelity music. It wasn't compressed. And we're going to get there. You know, we're, we're, We are getting there. There you go. But you're right. With the LPs, it's kind of nice to hear that warm fuzziness sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. All right. Uh, you know what? Let I think we have time for one more. Let's talk a little bit about the, the Emma Watch. Because I thought that was a really cool story that came out net last week. Okay. So basically, Microsoft uh, released uh, on one of their blogs, and they released a video, um, a little bit of a story about one of their um, developers who helped develop a watch that sits on the wrist of a Parkinson's patient um, that can help deal with tremors. So. The watch is called Emma, and it's a it's a wrist wearable tech that can actually help people who are suffering from Parkinson's disease. The device itself is named after a Parkinson's sufferer that um, helped the developer, uh, a woman by the name of Haiyan Zhang, and I'm really sorry, I probably did not pronounce that correctly, but so my apologies. But and she's the innovation director at Microsoft Research. Um, the two of them worked together to, to create the, the actual device. And what the device does is that, I mean, Parkinson's itself is a disease that causes these tremors in people who have it. And as a result, they can't do things like draw or write very well. So with the, with the Emma watch on the wrist, normal writing becomes possible because... Well, you know what? They don't even really know why. They, they don't really understand exactly what it's doing, but the watch itself vibrates, and it somehow runs interference with the brain that helps steady the hand. What's really interesting is we were talking to my wife's uncle um, on the weekend who has not, he does not Parkinson's, but he has the tremors and shakes. And he was talking to his doctor, and his, his doctor said, put your hand out. So, you know, Gary put his hand out, and he was trembling, and his, his hand was shaking. And the doctor said, okay, turn your head away. Don't look at your hand. He turned his head, and his hand was still. Really? Yeah. He looked at his hand again, and it would start shaking. Well, you know, that, and actually that, they talk a little bit about that in the article, because I guess what they say is happening in the brain is that the brain is kind of at war with itself when you have Parkinson's. So half, half of the brain is causing the hand to shake, mm -hmm. And the other half of the brain is trying to stop the hand from shaking. So the brain's kind of at a little bit of a war. And what the wearable does, because it's vibrating, 
it gives the brain something else to concentrate on. Right. So, you know, the sort of the war stops as it's, you know, in, you know, interpreting these signals that it's getting from the watch and that helps the tremors to ease. Yep. Very cool. Very, very cool. Don't know when it's available or the price point yet. But. You know what? I, I get the sense that this is this is something that's being developed, and, and you know it's still early on. I think that this is a, a prototype, pretty much. But you know, it just goes to show you again the power of that wearable tech. I think is going to hold for AT. Yep. I mean, I think really going forward, you know, in the next several years, there are going to be a few things that are really going to drive. Um, assistive technology innovation. And I think that Google's on top of that. I think that Microsoft is on top of that. I mean, yeah, everybody is contributing things. Yeah, and I think, you know, smartwatches per se haven't really taken off in the AT field. You know, the Apple watches, they were kind of, I don't know if, if I want to say a flop, but they never really took off. You know, the, the Android watches never really took off. They're all big and clunky. Um, but, you know, if they can start getting some of this technology built into these wearable watches, wristbands, whatever, um, the implications are, are really relevant and really huge. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who could really take advantage of devices such as this. Well, and, you know, I think that, again, it all comes down to context. I know I think that the Apple Watch per se was a bit of a flop, we'll say. Only because, you know, in the mainstream, I mean, mm -hmm. mainstream audiences, really, there wasn't enough there for them right. to really bother with it. But then you take somebody like Molly Watt, right? who, and, and her, the app that she runs on her Apple Watch, which is called, I, I believe it's called Resound, um, it's a game changer for her. It gives it's, her that it's, haptic it's, feedback and notifications. incredible. And, yeah incredible uh, what it adds to her life, the functionality of her her, her day-to-day life. And so it's things like that, I, I think, that really hold the key to to the next generation of AT. Um, you know, from, you know, again, uh, from Google Assistant being, and Google Lens being able to tell you exactly what's in front of you to a VPS system that's going to be able to navigate you through a mall to... You know, something like an Apple Watch that's going to help you, you know, give you uh, real-time notifications on your phone if you're blind yeah. or deaf. Yep, sky's the limit. We need developers to get out there and make more apps accessible. Yeah, I mean, the, the tech is there. Now we, need, now we need the apps. Yep. So, and, you know, the nice thing about a lot of this stuff is that there, a lot of this accessibility is now just being built in at, at the, on the foundational level. Well, and I think that's one thing um, in the Google I.O. Um, accessibility live stream I watched. They were really stressing to developers to kind of think outside the box. You know, when you're developing an app for somebody who is blind, label the buttons in your app. Sure. Just something as simple as labeling the buttons can make an app fully accessible. And I don't know anything about coding, but it can't be that difficult to add labels to buttons. You've already done the coding for the app. You've already done the coding for the buttons. Add the coding for a label. And you've got an accessible app that more of the population can take advantage of. Yeah. And absolutely. maybe increase your revenue stream. Well, for sure. And I mean, you know, and that's, you know, 
part of part of me the, some of the stuff that they were talking about with the Google Google Home because I was watching with a friend and and they were saying that you know a lot of this stuff is like oh you know what that, that's just people being lazy <laughs> like oh okay it's great you can you can tell your Google Home hey order me a pizza from Papa John's mm-hmm. and it'll automatically sort of take your order and submit it online you know you if you have all your payment information inserted ahead of time you don't even have to worry about any of that it just automatically boom it pays submits the order you don't have to do literally anything except answer the door and take the pizza once it gets there and you know my friend was kind of like well yeah that's just people being lazy and i was like yeah but think about it in terms of say somebody who's in a wheelchair or somebody who's blind who's home alone who wants to order a pizza and you know for them that's such a seamless experience to be able to to do that, you know, before they would have to fumble with, okay, you know, I got to pull out my, my credit card and read it. I mean, I'm sure for you, Ryan, right? Like that's... Even, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about somebody who maybe has mobility issues or has, has no hands and can't dial a phone, has to use voice recognition. They could say to their Google Home, okay, gee, order pizza from Panago or wherever, and it would ask, you know, what type of pizza would you like? Or it would remember your last order. Your payment information would automatically be transferred as well. And it, yeah, it shows up at your door. And Bob's your uncle. You know, it's it's not just people who are blind or in wheelchairs. Or even for people who are lazy. You know, really, most of us don't have landlines now anyway. So you're pulling out your smartphone to dial a number anyway to the pizza point. What's the difference between using your voice to do the same thing? Exactly. You're still making a phone call and ordering a pizza. Right. You're making it more convenient for people. It, it, an ease of access. Yeah. Right. So, and you know, and it's an innocuous example, I know, but uh, but the potential is there. I mean, you, you're able to see, you know, all this potential for people who may have limited access. Uh, again, if you're in a wheelchair and your home isn't constructed, you know, in such a way that, you know, you can reach your light switches or you can, you know, reach things that are up higher than normal or lower than normal, like your thermostat's up on your wall too high. You know, yeah, you could have a contractor come in and probably move that for you. Or you could get your Google Home or your Amazon Echo, you know, put in a smart thermostat and just dictate to it. Yep. Turn temperature to 73 degrees. You know, like, again, you've just enabled that person. Right. And it's all about enabling and empowering. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, for, you know, the mainstream audience, yeah, maybe it is lazy to just be able to be like lights mm-hmm. and lights turn on. You know, you, you know, some people may ask, oh, you know, geez, why do I need that? Like, I don't, I don't need something thinking for me. I don't need a, you know, a robotic assistant, essentially. Right. But, you know, again, you come back to AT, you know, it's. These things, I think, are really going to drive the next generation of assistive technology, AI and home automation yep. and um, all this, all these assistants, um, you know, neural learning and neural nets and deep learning. AI, I mean, that's, that's really, that's the next gen. It is indeed. So the next frontier. We will be talking a lot about that, I'm sure, in the, in the coming year. Yeah, and I think probably in the next month, next months, next six months or so, we'll get um, Victor from Google Accessibility on again. Yeah, I think and so. Just kind of see where things are at. 
you know, part of me kind of wishes that we didn't talk to him until after I.O. <laughs> because I, honestly, now yeah. I have like a ton of questions. Although, right. mind you, you know, part of the problem with, with talking to Victor is that he's working on a very, you know, very specific segment. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't necessarily have all the answers for all the questions that I'm sure that we would have for him after watching I.O. But. Right. Yeah. And accessibility, he'd be your man, but... You know, some of the, the deeper learning stuff you may not know enough right. about. But I don't know. It You know, I was really excited after, you know, coming out of, of that keynote speech. Good things to come. I, I Yeah, absolutely. And so, well, you know what? We're running late. We talked a lot today. Yep, we did. Okay, right. so before we go, though, we have a couple of shout outs to some people who emailed us over the course of the week. We do. I'd like to send a shout out to Tony and Tina who sent us an email regarding our discussion about opening Microsoft Word docx files. Stephen mentioned you could use Google Drive to do that. And Tony and Tina sent us a reply saying that you could also use DocuScan Plus, which is the scanning and reading program from Serotech, right. to open and read those documents as well. So shout yeah. out to them. Thanks for the email. Appreciate it. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Either did I. Yeah. So again, our audience is way smarter than we are. <laughs> That's right. Thank uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we also got an email from Michael Boyd, who, uh, well, he actually, he emailed us just to, to um, clarify what our RS, RSS feed is, because I believe he uses it, or he's gonna, he wants it. to use it for his pocket, his Plex stock pocket. Right. He emailed us, said some very kind words, said we were hilariously funny. Well, which it's a good thing thanks. Steve isn't here because Steve <laughs> would his head would really swell. Yes, if he heard that. So, but uh, no, appreciate the kind words, and uh, it's nice to know that we're that somebody thinks we're getting the balance of of uh, being stupid and and uh, actually saying some things of substance. Um, but yeah, he's, he enjoys the show. So thanks, Michael, for listening, and thanks for the email. Uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. Hey, where can people find us? ATBanter.com. And if you would like to email us and leave us a little note and get mentioned on the air and become super famous, you could do that by emailing ATBanterPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. That's and right. On Facebook. That's right. On Twitter, I believe our handle is AT underscore banter. It is. And on Facebook, I believe it's just AT Banter, all one word. Uh, all right. Well, then, sir, I think that's going to do it for this week. Excellent. Hope we didn't bore you all too much. Yeah, I know. We uh, we talked a long time. My throat is actually sore. <laughs> well, you're getting over a cold, too. Yeah, that's true. You probably haven't spoken this much all week. That is true. All right. Well, in that case, uh, everybody, have a good week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.